Chapter Three, Part One of the Pit. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. On a certain Monday morning, about a month later, Curtis Jadwin descended from his office in the Rookery Building, and turning southward, took his way toward the brokerage and commission office of Gretry, Converse, and Company on the ground floor of the Board of Trade building, only a few steps away. It was about nine o'clock. The weather was mild, the sun shone. La Salle Street swarmed with the multitudinous life that seethed about the doors of the innumerable offices of brokers and commission men of the neighborhood. To the right, in the peristyle of the Illinois Trust building, Groups of clerks, of messengers, of brokers, of clients, and of depositors formed and broke incessantly. To the left, where the façade of the Board of Trade blocked the street, the activity was astonishing, and in and out of the swing doors of its entrance streamed an incessant tide of coming and going. All the life of the neighborhood seemed to center at this point, the entrance of the Board of Trade. Two currents that trended swiftly through La Salle and Jackson streets, and that fed or were fed by other tributaries that poured in through Fifth Avenue and through Clark and Dearborn streets, met at this point, one setting in, the other out. The nearer the currents, the greater their speed. Men, uh, mere flotsam in the flood, as they turned into La Salle Street from Adams or from Monroe, or even from as far as Madison, seemed to accelerate their pace as they approached. At the Illinois Trust, the walk became a stride. At the Rookery, the stride was almost a trot. But at the corner of Jackson Street, the Board of Trade now merely the width of the street away, the trot became a run, and young men and boys, under the pretense of escaping the trucks and wagons of the cobbles, dashed across at a veritable gallop, flung themselves panting into the entrance of the board, were engulfed in the turmoil of the spot, and disappeared with a sudden fillip into the gloom of the interior. Often Jadwin had noted the scene, and unimaginative though he was, had long since conceived the notion of some great, some resistless force within the board of trade building, that held the tide of the streets within its grip, alternately drawing it in and throwing it forth. Within there, a great whirlpool, a pit of roaring waters, spun and thundered, sucking in the life-tides of the city, sucking them in as into the mouth of some tremendous cloaca, the maw of some colossal sewer, then vomiting them forth again, spewing them up and out, only to catch them in the return eddy and suck them in afresh. Thus it went, day after day, endlessly, ceaselessly, the pit, enormous, thundering, sucked in and spewed out, sending the swirl of its mighty central eddy far out through the city's channels. Terrible at the center it was, at the circumference, gentle, insidious, and persuasive. The send of the flowing so mild that to embark upon it, yielding to the influence, was a pleasure that seemed all devoid of risk. But the circumference was not bounded by the city. All through the northwest, all through the central world of the wheat, the set 
shift and whirl of that innermost pit made itself felt and it spread and spread and spread till grain in the elevators of western iowa moved and stirred and answered to its centripetal force and men upon the streets of new york felt the mysterious tugging of its undertow engage their feet embrace their bodies overwhelm them and carry them bewildered and unresisting back and downwards to the pit itself nor was the pit centrifugal power any less because of some sudden eddy spinning outward from the middle of its turmoil a dozen bourses of continental europe clamoured with panic a dozen old-world banks firm as the established hills trembled and vibrated because of an unexpected caprice in the swirling of the inner current some far distant channel suddenly dried and the pinch of famine made itself felt among the vine-dressers of northern italy the coal-miners of western prussia or another channel filled and the starved mujuk of the steppes and the hunger-strucken coolie of the ganges watershed fed suddenly fat and made thank-offerings before icon and idol there in the centre of the nation midmost of that continent that lay between the oceans of the new world and the old in the heart's heart of the affairs of men roared and rumbled the pit it was as if the wheat nourisher of the nations as it rolled gigantic and majestic in a vast flood from west to east here like a niagara finding its flow impeded burst suddenly into the appalling fury of the maelstrom into the chaotic spasm of a world force a primeval energy blood brother of the earthquake and the glacier raging and wrathful that its power should be braved by some pinch of human spawn that dared raise barriers across its courses small wonder that cressler laughed at the thought of cornering wheat and even now as jadwin crossed jackson street on his way to his broker's office on the lower floor of the board of trade building he noted the ebb and flow that issued from its doors and remembered the huge river of wheat that rolled through this place from the farms of iowa and ranches of dakota to the mills and bake-shops of europe there's something perhaps in what charlie says he said to himself corner this stuff my god gretry converse and company was the name of the brokerage firm that always handled jadwin's rare speculative ventures converse was dead long since but the firm still retained its original name the house was as old and as well established as any on the board of trade it had a reputation for conservatism and was known more as a bear than a bull concern it was immensely wealthy and immensely important it discouraged the growth of a clientele of country customers of small adventurers knowing well that these were the first to go in a crash unable to meet margin calls and leaving to their brokers the responsibility of their disastrous trades the large powerful bears were its friends the bears strong of grip tenacious of jaw capable of pulling down the strongest bull thus the firm had no consideration for the outsiders the public the lambs the lambs such a herd timid innocent feeble as much out of place in la salle street as a puppy in a cage of panthers 
the lambs, whom bull and bear did not so much as condescend to notice, but who in their mutual struggle of horn and claw they crushed to death by the mere rolling of their bodies. Jadwin did not go directly into Gretry's main office, but instead made his way in at the entrance of the Board of Trade building, and going on past the stairways that on either hand led up to the floor on the second story, entered the corridor beyond, and thence gained the customer's room of Gretry, Converse, and Company. All the more important brokerage firms had offices on the ground floor of the building, offices that had two entrances, one giving upon the street and one upon the corridor of the board. Generally, the corridor entrance admitted directly to the firm's customer's room. This was the case with the Gretry Converse house. Once in the customer's room, Jadwin paused, looking about him. He could not tell why Gretry had so earnestly desired him to come to his office that morning, but he wanted to know how wheat was selling before talking to the broker. The room was large, and, but for the lighted gas, burning crudely without globes, would have been dark. All one wall opposite the door was taken up by a great blackboard, covered with chalked figures in columns, and illuminated by a row of overhead gas-jets burning under a tin reflector. Before this board files of chairs were placed, and these were occupied by groups of nondescripts, shabbily dressed men, young and old, with tired eyes and unhealthy complexions who smoked and expectorated or engaged in interminable conversations. In front of the blackboard, upon a platform, a young man in shirt-sleeves, his cuffs caught up by metal clamps, walked up and down. Screwed to the blackboard itself was a telegraph instrument, and from time to time, as this buzzed and ticked, the young man chalked up cabalistic and almost illegible figures under columns headed by initials of certain stocks and bonds, or by the words pork, oats, or larger than all the others, may wheat. The air of the room was stale, close, and heavy with tobacco fumes. The only noises were the low hum of conversations, the unsteady click of the telegraph key, and the tapping of the chalk in the marker's fingers. But no one in the room seemed to pay the least attention to the blackboard. One quotation replaced another, and the key and the chalk clicked and tapped incessantly, the occupants of the room, sunk in their chairs, seemed to give no heed. Some even turned their backs. One, his handkerchief over his knee, adjusted his spectacles, and, opening a newspaper two days old, began to read with peering deliberation, his lips forming each word. These nondescripts gathered there, they knew not why. Every day found them in the same place always with the same fetid, unlighted cigars, always with the same frayed newspapers two days old. There they sat, inert, stupid, their decaying senses hypnotized and soothed by the sound of the distant rumble of the pit that came through the ceiling from the floor of the board overhead. One of these figures, that of a very old man, blear-eyed, decrepit, dirty, in a battered top hat and faded frock coat, discolored and weather-stained at the shoulders, seemed familiar to Jadwin. It recalled some ancient association, he could not say what. 
but he was unable to see the old man's face distinctly the light was bad and he sat with his face turned from him eating a sandwich which he held in a trembling hand jadwin having noted that wheat was selling at ninety-four went away glad to be out of the depressing atmosphere of the room gretry was in his office and jadwin was admitted at once he sat down in a chair by the broker's desk and for the moment the two talked of trivialities gretry was a large placid smooth-faced man stolid as an ox inevitably dressed in blue serge a quill toothpick behind his ear a grand army button in his lapel he and jadwin were intimates the two had come to chicago almost simultaneously and had risen together to become the wealthy men they were at the moment they belonged to the same club lunched together every day at kinsley's and took each other driving behind their respective trotters on alternate saturday afternoons in the middle of summer each stole a fortnight from his business and went fishing at geneva lake in wisconsin i say jadwin observed i saw an old fellow outside in your customer's room just now that put me in mind of hargus you remember the deal of his the one he tried to swing before he died oh how long ago was that bless my soul that must have been fifteen yes twenty years ago the deal of which jadwin spoke was the legendary operation of the board of trade a mammoth corner in september wheat manipulated by this same hargus a millionaire who had tripled his fortune by the corner and had lost it by some chicanery on the part of his associate before another year he had run wheat up to nearly two dollars had been in his day a king all-powerful since then all deals had been spoken of in terms of the hargus affair speculators said it was almost as bad as the hargus deal it was like the hargus smash it was as big a thing as the hargus corner hargus had become a sort of creature of legends mythical heroic transfigured in the glory of his millions easily twenty years ago continued jadwin if hargus could come to life now he'd be surprised at the difference in the way we do business these days twenty years yes it's all of that i declare sam we're we're getting old aren't we i guess that was hargus you saw out there answered the broker he's not dead old fellow in a stovepipe and greasy frock coat yeah that's hargus what exclaimed jadwin that hargus oh, of course it was he comes round every day a clerk give him a dollar every now and then and he's not dead and that was hargus that wretched broken <sighs> i don't know what to think of it sam and jadwin taken all aback sat for a moment speechless uh, yes sir murmured the broker grimly uh, that was hargus there was a long silence there was a long silence then at last gretry exclaimed briskly well uh, here's what i want to see about he lowered his voice you know uh, i've got a correspondent or two in paris all the brokers have and we make no secret as to who they are but i've had an extra man at work over there for the last six months very much on the quiet i don't mind telling you this much that he's not the least important member of the united states legation well now and then he is supposed to send me what the reporters call 
exclusive news. That's what I feed him for, and I could run a private steam yacht on what it cost me. But news I get from him is a day or so in advance of everybody else. He hasn't sent me anything very important till this morning. This here just came in. He picked up a dispatch from the desk and read, Utica, headquarters, modification, organic, concomitant, within one month, which means, he added, this. I've just deciphered it. And he handed Jadwin a slip of paper on which was written, Bill providing for heavy import duties on foreign grains, certain to be introduced in French Chamber of Deputies within one month. Have you got it? he demanded of Jadwin as he took the slip back. Won't forget it. He twisted the paper into a roll and burned it carefully in the office cuspidor. Now, he remarked, do you come in? It's just the two of us, Jay, and I think we can make that Porteous clique look very sick. Hmm, murmured Jadwin, surprised. That does give you a twist on the situation. But to tell the truth, Sam, I had sort of made up my mind to keep out of speculation since my last little deal. A man gets into this game, and into it, and into it, and before you know he can't pull out, and he don't want to. Next he gets his nose scratched, and he hits back to make up for it, and then just hits into the air and loses his balance, and down he goes. I don't want to make any more money, Sam. I've got my little pile, and before I get too old I want to have some fun out of it. But, Lord, love you, Jay, objected the other. This ain't speculation. You can see for yourself how sure it is. I'm not a baby at this business, am I? You'll let me know something of this game, won't you? And I tell you, Jay, it's found money. The man that sells wheat short on the strength of this has as good as got the money in his vest pocket already. Oh, nonsense. Of course you'll come in. I've been laying for that bull gang since long before the Helmick failure, and now I've got it right where I want it. Look here, Jay, you aren't the man to throw money away. You'd buy a business block if you knew you could sell it over again at a profit. Well, there's a chance to make a really fine bear deal. Why, as soon as this news gets on the floor there, the price will bust right down and down and down. Porteous and his crowd uh, couldn't keep it up to save him from the receiver's hand one single minute. I know, Sam, answered Jadwin. And the trouble is, not that I don't want to speculate, but that I do too much. That's why I said I'd keep out of it. It isn't so much the money as the fun of playing the game. With half a show I would get in a little more and a little more, till by and by I'd try to throw the big thing, and instead the big thing would throw me. Why, Sam, when you told me that that wreck out there mumbling a sandwich was Hargus, it made me turn cold. Yes, in your feet, retorted Gentry. I'm not asking you to risk all your money, am I, or a fifth of it, or a twentieth of it. Don't be an ass, Jay. Are we a conservative house, or aren't we? Do I talk like this when I'm not sure? Look here. Let me sell a million bushels for you. Yes, I know it's a bigger order than I've handled for you before. But this time I want to go right into it, head down and heels up, and get a twist on those porteous buckos, 
and raise them right out of their boots. We get a crop report this morning, and if the visible supply is as large as I think it is, the price will go off and unsettle the whole market. I'll sell short for you at the best figures we can get, and you can cover on the slump any time between now and the end of May. Jadwin hesitated. In spite of himself, he felt a chance had come, again that strange sixth sense of his, the inexplicable instinct that only the born speculator knows, warned him. Every now and then, during the course of his business career, this intuition came to him, this flare, this intangible, vague premonition, this presentiment, that he must seize opportunity, or less fortune that so long had stayed at his elbow would desert him. In the air about him he seemed to feel an influence, a sudden new element, a presence of a new force. It was luck, the great power, the great goddess, and all at once it had stooped from out of the invisible, and just over his head passed swiftly in a rush of glittering wings. Then would have, have to be handled like glass, observed the broker thoughtfully, his eyes narrowing. A tip like this is public property in 24 hours, and it don't give us any too much time. I don't want to break the price by unloading a million or more bushels on them all of a sudden. I'll scatter the orders pretty evenly. You see, he added, there's a big point in our favor. We'll be able to sell on a strong market. The pit traders have got some crazy war rumor going. And they're as flighty over it as a young lady's seminary over a great big rat. And even without that, the market is top-heavy. Porteous makes me weary. He and his gang have been bucking it up till we've got an abnormal price. Ninety-four from May wheat. Well, it's ridiculous. Ought to be selling way down in the eighties. Well, at least little Jolt would tip her over. Well... He said abruptly, squaring himself at Jadwin, Do we come in? If that same luck of yours is still in working order, here's your chance, Jay, to make a killing. There's just that gilt-edge full Morocco chance that a report of Big Visible would give us. Jadwin laughed. Sam, he said, I'll flip a coin for it. Oh, get out protested the broker. Then suddenly, the gambling instinct that a lifetime passed in that place had cultivated in him exclaimed, All right, flip a coin, but give me your word you'll stay by it. Heads you come in, tails you don't. Will you give me your word? I don't know about that, replied Jadwin, amused at the foolishness of the whole proceeding. But as he balanced the half-dollar on his thumbnail, he was all at once absolutely assured that it would fall heads. He flipped it in the air, and even as he watched it spin, said to himself, It will come heads. It could not possibly be anything else. I know it will be heads. And, as a matter of course, the coin fell heads. All right, he said. I'll come in. For a million bushels? Yes, for a million. How much in margins will you want? Gretry figured a moment on the back of an envelope. Fifty thousand dollars, he announced at length. Jadwin wrote the check on a corner of the broker's desk and held it a moment before him. Goodbye, he said, apostrophizing the bit of paper. 
Goodbye, I ne'er shall look upon your like again. Gretry did not laugh. <laughs> he grunted. You'll look upon a hatful of them before the month is out. End of chapter 3, part 1